What is going on, Lions fans? Welcome to another episode of the Lions Memecast. I'm your host, Nate, otherwise known as the Memes Guy. Hey, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy day and busy life and giving us a listen today. If you enjoy what you listen to today, please go ahead and subscribe. Go ahead and rate this podcast five stars. Those things are very much appreciated. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We are back. I am back after a holiday break. Had a week off of the meme cast. Um, just took a little break over Thanksgiving. Um, was a little sick this past week, so that also contributed to the lack of episodes waiting for you. So I appreciate your patience. Um, I'm excited to say that I am going to be here weekly for the rest of the season, and I'm hoping that the Lions have a weekly matchup until the very first weekend in February. But nonetheless, we have a lot to cover on today's episode. I'm excited to share my thoughts with you all. It's been fantastic here on Lions Memes this season. Very appreciative of you all listening, taking time and listening to just some guy rant and rave about his favorite team. You all are awesome. All right, today we got a lot. We got to cover. We will talk about Lions-Bears because that game ended great. And there's a lot to take away from that game, even a few weeks removed from it, because I think it tells... Um, it encapsulates, again, who this team is and how far they've come as a team. We're going to talk about Thanksgiving. I don't want to relive it as much as you do, but we're going to talk about it because there are some key takeaways that, again, can frame the rest of the season prior and the rest of the season we have in this last month of December. And, of course, we're going to look ahead to Sunday's game against the New Orleans Saints, a Get right game for these Detroit Lions. All right, first thing is first, Lions-Bears from November 19th, 31-26 was the final. The Lions pulled it out. Now, if you think about, again, where we were at going into this game, the Lions were 7-2 and and riding high after a thrilling last-second win against the LA Chargers, 41-38. And I got to be honest, I think... This team might have gone into this game perhaps overlooking the Bears a bit. Um, The themes that we saw in this Bears game were also similar um, mistakes, miscues, problems that we saw against the Packers. Now, in the Bears game, it was obvious. It was the turnovers. You just can't turn the ball over. And for the majority of this season, honestly, since week six of last year, 2022, when we went on that 8-2 and two streak the end of season, the Lions became masters of the turnover battle. And we took care of the ball so well. I mean, you remember, Goff had that incredible streak of, you know, what, what was it, second? I think it was second most all-time passes thrown without an interception. Everybody was playing playing football at a high level. You think about Goff, the offensive line. And also a big part of us winning the turnover battle was the defense getting takeaways. Now, you kind of go back since the Baltimore game, okay? 
you look at how, you know, in every team is going to have ups and downs, even the great teams. And we're going to talk we're going to talk about how, I mean, frankly, I don't think the Lions have anything to worry about. Neither does Coach Campbell. Now, do we have things we have to fix? Absolutely. But we're going to talk about this turnover thing because this is huge. Now, against the Raiders, he had red zone problems and a couple key turnovers. Some fumbles, I think. Um, you know, Reynolds had a fumble. Goff, of course, had that weird pick six to Marcus Peters, which, you know, that was just a weird, badly timed throw and route. Um, and I believe it was, a, it was a fumble by Craig Reynolds also. Because Monty was still injured, yep. So it was Gibbs, and um, yeah, it was of course Gibbs breakout game, and Craig Reynolds. And again, that was a weird fumble. Okay, so he had some turnover issues, and then in LA though, while the defense gave up 38 points, the offense probably had their best game of the season. And Gibbs and Monty went off. Amonra St. Brown had a phenomenal game, and they took care of the ball. They the defense got to take take away early, but then after that. Um, just couldn't really stop the Chargers after that. But you go into this Chicago game thinking, I mean, just based off of the performance against the Chargers, you're like, this offense is kind of unstoppable. And then everybody got a little shell-shocked. I think the team and the fans were, because the Lions turned the ball over four times. It could have easily been five times. Golf had three interceptions. You know, a few of them were tipped balls, unfortunate, unlucky plays. And then, you know, he had two just bad throws. And again, that could have been a fourth interception. They were down in the red zone. The Bears guy couldn't intercept it. Can't remember can't remember his name. And I'm glad I don't because if I would have remembered his name, that would have meant that that would have been a pick six going the other way against us. But it, it was one of those games where it, it things were looking bad as in we just didn't have it. And a couple things, you know, played into that it was just some golf and his receivers not being on the same page and and golf not having his best day and the offensive line didn't have their best game but maybe it's just you know revisionist history or you know maybe I'm just not remembering that game as well but I think the Green Bay game was probably an all-time low this season for the offensive line we'll talk about that in a little bit but the positives from the Bears game is that you, this is a mark of a good team. You play one of your worst games, okay? It's not your day. You're not looking like your usual, your usual self, but you find a way to win. Three minutes left. You're down 26-14. And through all the ups and downs of these past few weeks, we cannot forget Jamison Williams is quickly becoming a star, okay? A little bit of an over-exaggeration, but he has come on in these past three games, and I honestly think he's primed for a big December. But you go back, three minutes left, you know, 26-14, and then you get that huge touchdown, 48-yard touchdown bomb to Jamison Williams, and we're back. We have some life. And then the defense showed up and did their job. They got to stop, and then we marched, down the field, and my boy, David Monty, the beast Montgomery, punches it in at the goal line to, to take the lead against his former team. And I don't think I've seen Monty more excited 
at all this past season. Like, he's had some moments for sure. I mean, he's had a great season. Hope he can stay stay healthy here. But he just looks so pumped up on that score to score against his former team. I mean, just taking that into consideration, let alone just the euphoria of being in this position to win after the game your entire team has just had up until that point. And then, of course, Aiden Hutchinson, for all the flack he's gotten. And listen, it, it's very complicated when it comes to the defense because could he be playing better? Sure. Is he doing a lot as it is? He is. But I was just happy to see, okay, here's a critical moment. The Bears have the ball back, and you don't want them to get into field goal range, you know, and then he just has that strip sack, fumble, ball gets batted out of the end zone, going the other way against the Bears, and the you know the game's effectively ended right there on a safety. I mean, that was huge. That was a moment where just this brand new Lions kind of deal just came to fruition where it's like, nope, we're not going to bend over and lose you know, every game or any game like that anymore. We're a new team who has just, you know, top-down, new mentality, a great coaching staff, culture, front office, top to bottom, and we have some studs, some playmakers on the field that are going to lift the team up when it's having a bad day. So despite a horrible day in terms of taking care of the ball, you know, four turnovers, and the stats historically, you know, for teams that you know, give up the ball four times. The turnover stats of of that nature are not kind to the team that, in fact, does turn the ball over that much. But the Lions overcame the odds for that day, and they got a huge, huge win against a divisional opponent. And listen, dude, I have talked a lot of smack about the Bears. I have to give credit where credit's due. They have a lot of talent on this team. And honestly, if their coaching staff was better, I think they would be a more formidable divisional opponent right now. Um, you know, and again, that's just my layman's perspective. I think that definitely became more prominent to me um, as I watched them beat the Vikings this past week on Monday Night Football. Honestly, shout out to the Bears for that, as much as that pains me to say. And again, we'll talk about that in a little bit here. But the Lions did what they needed to do to beat the Bears. I will be honest, those last three minutes of that game were just pure joy and elation. I mean, it was thrilling to watch this team come back in that fashion. And while it was a very miserable up-and-down day up until that point, I mean, honestly, when you win like that, when you come back and win like that, when your team shows up in those in those clutch moments, you can't help but be happy. Like, you got an important divisional win. You know, you're sitting at 8-2. and two. Things are looking good. And you don't expect your team to collapse like that in terms of this turnover battle. You don't expect this team to do that again because that was an anomaly. And then it's, you know, short week. Thanksgiving. The Lions Thanksgiving Classic is here. And the throwbacks are back. The Lions are wearing their super clean uniforms. It's the Packers. Way back in September, we trounced the Packers at Lambeau. The Lions have all this energy coming off of this Bears win and the Chargers win too. Again, you know, a great stretch of games. And, of course, the Raiders game before that. And the Lions just came out so flat. And this turnover issue did not get fixed. And I get it was a short week, 
But you know who else it was a short week for? It was a short week for the Green Bay Packers. And they were down a ton of guys. And it was embarrassing, man. Losing that game, like, I'll be honest, that game, losing that game in the way that we did was worse and was a worse feeling for me than the Ravens game. Because the Ravens game, it was like, I mean, don't get me wrong, that was miserable as well. But you look at that game as an anomaly. It just wasn't our day. We came out flat. It's a non-conference opponent. The Ravens look like Super Bowl contenders. They are still very well in that mix as we speak, as you listen today. But man, that was just the worst. Okay, it's it, it, it's Thanksgiving. This is our game, our tradition. And we haven't won on Thanksgiving in a few years. We've had some clunkers. We've had some really close games. And this is a Green Bay game, a Green Bay team that we should have just won handily against. And you can't overlook any opponent, let alone a divisional opponent. And we just came out flat and we embarrassed ourselves in front of a national audience. That was tough. And from the moment, you know, end of the first half, down 20 to 6, I mean, oh, man, that that was a bad feeling. And credit where credit is due, the Packers played well. And, and you know you know what? Talk about motivation because the Green Bay Packers had not beaten the Detroit Lions in over 750 days. And the last times, the last two times these teams played, it was week 18 of 2022. The Lions knocked them out of the playoffs. And Aaron Rodgers, again, don't forget, the last pass that this man has thrown in the NFL as we speak today, as you listen, was a throw to Kirby Joseph. So, okay, we embarrassed them, knocked them out of the playoffs. And then, of, of course, you know, this past September, we go into Lambeau again and we embarrass them. So what I'm saying is that, dude, the Packers had every reason to be motivated to come into this game bringing their everything, bringing their all, because we have embarrassed them two games in a row. And I just don't think that this team, this Lions team, was ready for that. I just, you know, we just showed up flat. We didn't show up. And talk about, you know, they wanted it more. Absolutely, the Packers wanted it more. Um, But again, this game came down to a couple of things, honestly. And there are aspects, you know, players, units, whether it's offense or defense, that, you know, everybody's so quickly to blame, place the blame on one player or one unit. Oh, it was the offense that didn't show up. It was the defense. This defense can't get any pressure. Truth be told, I think... Ultimately, and again, I'm not the kind of person that's going to pin the blame on one person. So if you're looking for that take from me, unless it's the most blatantly obvious thing, like you're not going to get it. But however, I I think the most disappointing part of this game was the play of our offensive line. And when it comes to things to worry about, anomalies, things of that nature, I truly believe that this game by this offensive line was an anomaly. I do not expect them to be nearly this bad for the remainder of this season. And there are a few things that lead me to believe that. I think, first of all, you you, you break it down. You look at 
the performance by individual players on the line. Okay, Panay Sewell, Glasgow, Decker, three studs. Okay, they had one of their worst games of the season. Now, going back and looking at stats, I know for a fact that for Graham Glasgow in Panay Sewell, I believe that their you know pro football focus rating, their grade for this game, was amongst the worst that either player has received in their entire career. So you got these two guys, Glasgow and Sewell, on Thursday on Thanksgiving, both of them together were individually, but each of them had their worst game like of their entire career. So what I'm saying is that I don't foresee that happening again, let alone both of them on the same day having their worst game. I just don't see that happening. However, another key factor into this offensive line play is, you know, Jonah Jackson because we we need Jonah. And I love we have some depth on on our offensive line. We have some young studs and while Cor, uh, Colby Sorsdale did not have his best game against the Packers, I think he'll bounce back. He's he showed some promise when he's, you know, had to play this season. But we finally against the Chargers, that was, you know, one of the first times this season we had our fully healthy offensive line. And, you know, Vitae is on IR again, and it's just too bad with him because you hope when he's out there, he's a stud, but he's had some really tough luck with injuries. But when you had, you know, Jackson back in there, man, this offense looked unstoppable. We're talking about, you know, talking about stats again. The Chargers game for Panay Sewell, this man went up against Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, I believe it was 20 different individual matchups going against Joey Bosa. Panay Sewell did not give up a single pressure. He did not give up a single sack on that fourth and two to win the game against the Chargers. That, you know, that critical fourth down conversion that led to the Riley Patterson game-winning field goal. Panay Sewell absolutely manhandled Joey Bosa and threw him to the ground. So... This offensive line needs to be healthy. I mean, getting Jonah back is huge. And again, I overall, I think this Packers game was an anomaly. But also, again, this was the most this was the most disappointing part was the play of the offensive line. And I'm not excusing Goff. Dude, I'm a huge Goff fan. And I've already made my apology to him a couple episodes ago. And the dude's had a great season. Unfortunately, he's turned the ball over, I believe, six times in the past two games. And again, I don't think that's going to be an issue. It's an issue that I think, that I, you know, believe golf will clean up. And, you know, that just kind of coincides again with the offensive line play because you want to talk about stats. Jared Goff was sacked three times. He lost three fumbles, unfortunately. But this man took 12 hits and he faced... 33 pressures. Now, to my understanding, that's amongst the most in a single game that he has faced his entire career. So you take those things into account, the fact that, you know, a couple key offensive line members, players, had a bad game. I don't think collectively they will again. And again, Goff hasn't seen pressure like this very often in his career. But it was disappointing with this offensive line because this offensive line is 
the number one strength of this team. It's the best part of this team. It's the best offensive line in football for a reason. The number one offensive line in the league. I'll take them any day. But that Thanksgiving game was just one of those games where the entire team, coaching staff on down, just wasn't having their day. You know, I wasn't a huge fan of the play calling by Ben Johnson at some points. I think the Lions just collectively collectively were getting out of what typically worked for them, you know. I think there were some a few red zone possessions where, you know, Johnson got cute with the play calling. There were some screens. And I'm not here to pick apart and be negative about Ben Johnson, but just trying to illustrate and hit home this point that it just wasn't really everybody's best day. And then, of course, you know, Dan Campbell, the Lions are down by a couple scores, and we are in our own territory, a fake fourth down call, and it turned it turned out to be costly. It was, you know, within our own 25, we go for it on fourth and short, and we don't get it. And Lions fans, of course, have every reason to be, you know, to be disappointed about the game. And, of course, after a Lions loss, the last place you want to be is social media because, you know, and I'm not here to just deflect all negative energy away. Like, you got to be able to talk about the difficult things in life, but also about your team. You got to be realistic. But I'll tell you what, social media is just dreadful to be on, particularly particularly Twitter. And I'm honestly, I'm not on Twitter that much. Like, I'm on it a lot during football season, but that's, you know, to get updates about NFL news and injury updates. And But, man, people are negative, and I'll people were just online. And again, you have to remember in the grand scheme of things, the loud negative voices online are not speaking on behalf of all of us. Like it's a small minority of people, but you know, it was, Oh, I can't believe Campbell would do that. That's horrible. Look, it wasn't the best time to call it. And what did Campbell do right after the game? He owned it. But what's so funny to me about that particular criticism is that this dude, prior to that moment, this man did not miss on fourth down. Like every other fake fourth down call I can recall, you know, since middle of last season, I mean, people are singing his praises because they work. And when you're this, when you have this awesome aggressiveness that Kimball has, you're going to live and die by it. You're not going to get it every time. And when you don't get it, it's going to cost you sometimes. And that's something you have to live with. And frankly, I'm okay with it because how many years prior to having Campbell have we seen Lions coaches just lay down, chill, grab a little drink, and just sit on leads, not be aggressive when they need to, not make decisions as a coach that are going to win your team games. Rather, we've seen it so many times with Lions coaches prior to Campbell, coaches that would play not to lose, not playing to win. So that's an aspect of Campbell's game I love, and he's gotten so much better at it. But, of course, all it takes is an ugly stinker, a bad loss on Thanksgiving against a divisional opponent for you know people to be vocal and angry, and I get it. I understand the frustration because that was not our best showing by any means. Now, I just rambled about the offensive line play because I believe that conversation is very much relevant to this conversation we're having about Jared Goff. Bottom line for me, I think Goff will be fine. He's had a rough stretch these past couple games. But don't forget, 
He had three picks against the Bears, but he came back and won the team that game. And honestly, a couple things go differently in this game against the Packers, and we could be, you know, 9-2. and two. We could have won that game because at halftime, it was 20-6, to six, and the defense actually did their job in the second half. The Packers only won 29-22, but again, what score did they get in the second half that was gifted to them? Of course, we just talked about it. It was the fake punt, the failed fake punt fourth down that gave the Packers a super short field again. So a couple things go different in that game, and we could easily be sitting at 9-2. Again, that's the nature of the NFL. comes down to sometimes a couple plays. It's a game of inches. You know, the margin for error is so small. But, you know, we don't need to relive it. Those fumbles by Goff were bad. You know, he was playing out of sorts. You've seen, honestly, I would say just about every game this season. You know, maybe minus parts. But even in the Bears game, he just didn't look rattled. He didn't. He did not look uncomfortable. I mean, he wasn't making great decisions all the time. But yeah, this Packers game, he just looked rattled. And we've already talked about why. Like the offensive line had one of their worst games. Golf got hit. You know, the, the pressure that he took was amongst you know the most for a single game for his career. So you take all of those things into account, and it is not surprising that Golf looked rattled. Frankly, I think you throw any quarterback into that situation, they're going to be rattled. They're going to be uncomfortable. But I believe that, again, Goff will bounce back. Two things I believe are true. This offensive line is going to bounce back quickly. They're not going to have another game this season like they did against the Packers on Thanksgiving. And I believe the same for Goff. I believe he'll bounce back against the Saints. And I just, these turnover issues... They're so simple, so easy to fix. It takes Goff stepping up and being a little bit more proactive if he ever has to rush or if he's facing pressure. Just tuck the ball. Just be smart. But it's also up to the offensive line to protect their guy because when when Goff is adequately protected, and frankly, it's not like this dude can't take any pressure. Like I've seen so many comments from people saying, Goff, the minute there's any pressure, he folds. I'm like, no, that's not necessarily true. I can recall... This season, in many instances, scenarios where golf is facing pressure and makes clutch throws. I think about the the, the Chiefs game, that go-ahead game-winning touchdown drive, that run to David Montgomery that sealed it. Okay, I can just picture right now there are several plays on that drive where golf makes steps up in the pocket, makes clutch throws with pressure in his face. Like, we can't just take two games by Jared Goff, two of his not-so-good games, and discount everything else that Goff has done leading up to this point. Because he's had a great year. He's had a couple down games. Again, we're talking about these past two weeks, still 1-1, one and one, right? If we're looking at it that way. Now, while, while we are on the subject of Goff, I want to bring up something. It's very simple. And frankly, it's something, it's something that I'm excited about. So Hendon Hooker, the Lions' third-round pick this past draft, rookie, quarterback out of Tennessee, an exciting young player. Of course, he tore his ACL, which is a big reason why he ultimately fell to the third round. The Lions snagged him up. Um, He has elite NFL talent, a big, big big-time arm. He's very mobile, athletic. 
just has those intangibles. He has all the potential to be a great NFL quarterback. This past week, Hooker finally was lifted from the unable-to-practice list, the NFI list, and practiced for the first time in his NFL career this past week. And I'm excited because we have a great quarterback room. We have Goff, our guy, our QB1. We have Teddy Bridgewater, who is just a great veteran presence. And if Goff, you know, you know, God forbid Goff gets injured, we have a great backup who can win us some games. And Hooker has all the potential in the world. It's a great situation for great situation for the Lions to be in. But of course, Goff has a couple bad games and negativity that exists permeates online. People were saying, I don't think it's the most realistic or wise statement to say publicly, but people were saying, all right, let's play hooker. Let's bench golf and play hooker. I mean, frankly, I I don't see really any logic in a statement like that. I don't mean to insult anybody that said that. It's just one of those things where it's like, dude, like golf has had a great year. He has two not-so-good games. Like, you got to roll with your guy, man. You got to stick with him. Goff has proven that he's the QB one of this team. He's won over everybody in that building. You know, his teammates, coaches, everybody. And frankly, he's won this city over. I mean, collectively, you think about their first home game against the Panthers. Player, Player introductions, Jared Goff got the biggest cheer out of any Lions player. And they're at, they're eight and three, and he's having a great season. You know, maybe and, and again, you have to take all of this in context because the loud my, minority negativity, if it's online, you know, it's gonna get a lot of noise. And it, again, it's not representative of the whole. It's not to completely write off Goff's you know miscues these past few weeks. You have to acknowledge those things. He will. He needs to be better, and I believe he will be better. But he has earned our trust, just like this coaching staff and and team has earned our trust. So, Goff is our guy, and frankly, you know, I hope he balls out. In fact, best case scenario, Hendon Hooker does not start a game for the Detroit Lions for a couple years because Goff just, you know, his last game is in February, and his last win is a game in February, and it's a win. Like, best case, best case scenario, right? Because this team has the blueprint, you know, if they play their best football, you know, even with this defense, as up and down as, as it's been with this defense, like, the Lions, if they're playing their best, they can play with anybody. So, like, that blueprint for the Lions to win is there with golf as the QB. And he's been to a Super Bowl before with the Rams. Now, this discussion is for this offseason and not for right now. But, you know, the Lions will have to make a decision with golf, you know. Again, you know, he has one more year of his contract remaining. But you would imagine that, you know, a contract a contract extension would more than likely take place this upcoming offseason. And again, that's going to be dependent on how he finishes this season out. If the Lions collapse, which I just don't see that happening, I would be shocked. If they collapse, chances are, you know, they might not keep him. But, man, that would be depressing. And that's, like, worst-case scenario. I don't see that happening. 
But, you know, there's things to consider. You know, do they want to pay him a ton of money when you have a rookie quarterback? You could keep the rookie deal and you could get other free agents. Like, that's all fine and dandy. And those are, those are legitimate conversations that need to be had, things that need to be considered. But the idea that Hendon Hooker is going to play an NFL game when this dude not, has not even practiced, like he's not really in football shape right now per se because he's been he's been rehabbing this ACL. So there's no chance that this dude can like within a week of even practicing for the first time just go and play a game. Like let's just totally forget we have Teddy Bridgewater as our backup QB. Like if anybody's going to go in and play the quarterback position, it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater and not Hendon Hooker, but again, dude, I I love Hendon Hooker. I think he's a I I was excited when we drafted him, and I love our QB room. But you know, you just have to stick with your guys. That's kind of how how I look at it. Golf is my quarterback. Lions are my team. You can be honest with you know the ups and the downs. You can acknowledge the mistakes of certain players. You know, acknowledge mistakes about the coaching staff, units, offense or defense, whatever, what have you. But be honest, but also be fair. And how I look at it is this. Stick with your guy. Stick with your team. Don't abandon them literally at the very first signs of a decline. That's just being flaky, in my opinion. And again, I am by no means calling anybody out or questioning if you're listening to this podcast. I'm not questioning your fanhood. Because that's the beautiful thing that we have the privilege of having is opinions and the freedom to express those opinions. And if you feel a certain way about this team that differs from how I view this team, I celebrate that for you. Good for you. I may disagree with you with how you view it, but I'm glad that you're able to offer your viewpoint. But I think when it comes to supporting a team, there's just a couple non-negotiables, right? You got to stick with your guys. You got to stick with your team, even when they're going through some adversity. And man, 34 minutes in, and are we even going to talk about the Saints? Yes, we are going to talk about the Saints. Okay, I believe this game in New Orleans, 9-3 and three Lions by the end of that game, and I'll tell you why. This is going to be a bounce-back game for this team. This is your classic get-right game. The Lions by no means are panicking, and again, it was beautiful. Earlier this week, Dan Campbell, the man, okay, when it comes to this doom and gloom that exists after a Lions loss, that man does not flinch one bit. He, in his own words, says, I love this, this adversity. It's all doom and gloom outside this building. But Campbell does not flinch, man. He knows who he has, the coaching staff, the players. Like, you better watch out for Dan Campbell. After a loss, because here's a stat that I'm excited to share with you that, frankly, I didn't just take from Twitter or see somebody else, you know, comment. I actually did the research myself because I was curious. I said, man, I asked myself the question, what is Dan Campbell's record as a coach following a loss? Then I looked. Remember, we all remember that exciting 8-2 and two finish of last year's campaign. Well, guess what? Since week 6 of 2022, 
Again, at this point, that's over a year's time, about a year and a couple weeks. Since week six of the 2022 season, Dan Campbell's Detroit Lions, each loss since that game, what has followed has been at least three wins or more. Huh. And again, I, just like anybody else, can pull stats from nowhere, anywhere, and put them together and form a narrative. But I got to be honest, maybe that's just my layman's take, but I think that's pretty dang impressive. If And then you put that... Okay, well, that's last season. No, that is since week six of 2022. Think about this season. That Seattle game, that was a tough overtime loss, home opener. The Lions won four straight after that. Then they had that stinker in Baltimore. Guess what? They won three games after that. So this coaching staff, led by Campbell, continues to instill confidence in their team, and frankly, should instill confidence in you as a fan. Because they have done so much of, you know, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. And that stat is encouraging to me. And and again, it's after those losses at, you know, Seattle at home, at Baltimore, those first few press conferences the following week leading into the next game. Like, Campbell lives for this stuff. He lives for being counted out. I mean, this dude is like, man, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go bite another kneecap right now. Like, you can just hear me. I'm getting so fired up about this. Like, it's, it's. I mean, I love it. It's motivating, inspiring, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. And I'll be honest, those uh, first few games following the Thanksgiving game were not fun, necessarily. Like, even football on Sunday, you couldn't really enjoy it because. When you thought of football, you thought about how we should have won on Thanksgiving. And you have to wait a whole 10 days, Thursday to Thursday, but also a few more days until Sunday, until finally your team can play again. And of course, the closer we get to Sunday, the more far, the farther removed we are from the Packers game. Feeling better. Would love a win on Sunday. But I'll tell you what really helped this process of getting over that Thanksgiving game was the Bears beating the Vikings on Monday Night Football. And, oh boy, oh boy, did our division rival do us a favor in an absolutely ugly game, which, frankly, I could have cared less if that was a 38-35 thriller. I really didn't care. I was glued to the screen on the edge of my seat the entire game because I understood. I understood, as I can imagine... You all understood as well. A Bears win against the Vikings is huge for this divisional race. And the Bears did it. It was an ugly game. No touchdowns were scored. But the Vikings fell to 6-6. Six and six, And the Lions are now up two and a half games in the NFC North. And, man, that was good. Because as we get... You know, we are now in the month of December, and this is when the contenders separate themselves from the pretenders. It's when the margin for error is so small. You need a microscope to see it because you just can't 
be off. Like Campbell has said it so many times, you got to be playing your best football. So going into December with that lead against the Vikings for this division is huge. Because let's be honest, okay, the one seed playoffs, gosh, that would have been great. And frankly, there is still a chance the Eagles look great right now and they would have to struggle and, and drop a couple games here to for that to even be a possibility. They could because they have a tough schedule, but I'm not worried about that. I'm going back to expectations that we had at the beginning of this season. And frankly, the most important thing is winning this division. Since it's been the NFC North, the Lions have not won it. 2002, the division's realigned. They have not won their division since 1993 when it was the NFC Central. Winning the division this year is huge. I believe the Lions, if they win the NFC North, host a playoff game at Ford Field, it will be rocking. If they win a playoff game, dude, I mean, I'm elated. That's a successful season. At this point, where this regime is at, this team, that's a good season for me. Because you're you're doing two things that this team has not done in decades. Anything beyond that is just euphoria. Of course, it's great. But we're focusing on these important things, okay? Winning the division. Now, the Lions, this game against the Saints, you have to have it. Do I think they can afford the drop maybe a game or two in December? Sure. Technically, they could. But this is December, and right now is the time that the Lions need to be playing their best football. And it's just so funny how everything varies week to week because not even a few weeks ago, we were looking at this schedule to end the season. It wasn't just Lions fans. It was national, national media. Everybody was saying, look at how easy the remaining schedule is for the Lions. Well, how things change because... It's Saints this Sunday, then Bears, Broncos, Vikings, Cowboys, and of course Vikings again to end the season. Well, gosh, now that does not look as easy as we may have thought. I think these past few divisional games, they've taught me a couple things, or rather they've reminded me of a couple things. It's a long season. Every game is important. You can't overlook a single game. It's any given Sunday. The parity in this league, it's so close. All it takes is you having a bad day and your opponent having the better day. You got to want it. You got to play and show up every single week. And it's a long season. It's so funny how the narrative changed. You know, again, this schedule towards the end of the year looked super favorable a little while ago, but the Broncos are on this win streak. Six and five, as we speak, they're looking good. Cowboys, those stinking Cowboys are looking really good. Now, the Vikings, again, divisional opponent. You still have to play them twice. Thankfully, I think Josh Dobbs, love Josh Dobbs, honestly. I think he's a great guy, easy to root for. Unfortunately, he does play for our division rival. But the Bears game, Monday night, definitely brought this seemingly never-ending hype train that was being built by NFL media and Vikings fans that the Vikings are going to win the division and make a playoff run with Dobbs. I think 
those thoughts have kind of quieted down a little bit. And Dobbs looked very, very human on Monday night. But again, as we all know very well, you cannot overlook a single game. And I believe the Lions will be ready to take on the Vikings twice in the span of a couple weeks here. But the Bears game, you know, you can't just hang out and give the Bears a chance because if we don't show up and 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 win at the end like we did, we lose that game. And of course, Thanksgiving, a prime example, you can't overlook anyone. You can't be riding off the success of last week's win. You have to look at who's ahead of you. You just can't overlook anybody. I mean, that's just a great reminder. But man, the Saints here, again, a team that on paper the Lions should beat. And they are down a lot of guys. Their young star wideout Chris Olave is in concussion protocol. It's going to be a game-time decision for him, but he will likely not play. Again, we haven't even mentioned his name yet, but our dear friend Jamal Williams. Um, again, this year with the Saints, he's been injured. Unfortunately, has not had a great year. We will probably not even see him on the field. The Saints are down him. They're missing a couple other of their wideouts. They got injuries, they're banged up, and their defense. The Saints' run defense ranks amongst the worst in the league. You take those factors into consideration, the Saints are not a great team. Derek Carr and company have not been able to, you know, compete for this division like they would have wanted to. Even though, as it stands right now, the NFC South is still anybody's division, besides, you know, if your team is the Carolina Panthers. But the Saints are not a team that the Lions should overlook. And honestly, Dan Campbell's teams have a knack for bouncing back after a tough loss. And you have the momentum again. The Vikings dropping a game, going to 6-6, six and six, the Lions at 8-3, and three, primed primed to expand their lead in the NFC North. They have a great chance to do it on Sunday against the Saints. I believe this game, it starts with the offensive line. The offensive line not flinching after a bad game. I believe this offensive line gets right right away. They need to dominate the line of scrimmage, and I believe this game is going to run through, no pun intended, but it is going to run through the running backs. Monty and Gibbs are arguably the best running back duo in the league right now. And we need our offensive line to play their game, to open up lanes for these studs to run through. And if those things happen, Jared Goff is going to have a day. Because this offense, this team, our quarterback, he thrives when the when the offensive line is cooking, when the run game is working. You get some play action in there, you let Ben Johnson cook. This could very well be a favorable matchup for this offense, and I believe it starts with that. Oh, man, 45 minutes in, and we have yet to talk about this Lions defense. All right, so against the Bears, against the Packers, there are some issues with this defense right now. And I think it, you know, and oh, is everybody quick to blame, you know, Aaron Glenn, or whether you want to blame Aiden Hutchinson, even though he doesn't get any help, or you want to blame 
Kirby Joseph or Jerry Jacobs, I just don't think you can blame one single person or player or coach. I don't think, it, frankly, I don't think that's fair either. But I do believe when it comes to this defense, it starts with this defensive line, and it, st- and it starts with, or lack thereof, pressure. In both of these games, and against, it was prevalent for most of the game against the Chargers as well, this defensive line just cannot get pressure on the quarterback. We're talking not just pressures, the stat, we're talking about QB hits, sacks. There has been no pass rush to really speak of by this unit. Um, But we saw it in multiple games those first few months of the season. But as of late, really since the Ravens game, this pass rush has not really been showing up. And it's just weird because, again, you had some decent productivity earlier in the year, but you look at the guys we have, and, you know, is it clear that next offseason do we have to add some more guys to this defensive line? Of course I think so. Do we have to get an edge rusher opposite Hutch that can command even a fraction of the attention that he commands on every snap? For sure. Absolutely. But I look at the guys we have on this defensive line, and I don't know if it's execution by the players or a coaching issue, but I look at the players that we have, and I'm like, it does not make sense that other guys besides Hutch are not producing. Of course, you have the Okwara brothers, John Kaminsky, the, the commish. And you have guys like Aline McNeil, who's having a great season. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what that X factor could be when it comes to what is the one or two things that's keeping this defensive line from finally getting to the quarterback. You know, and it, when, when you take that into consideration, the guys that we have, it, it seems to be coaching, but that is where the heart of the issue lies. I think it's a lack of pass rush, and you saw it against the Packers. Jordan Love looked like prime Aaron Rodgers out there. This guy had all day to throw, and it doesn't matter who you are. If you're going to get all the time in the world to throw the ball, defenses are going to pay for it. And in these past few games, the secondary has struggled, but you got to remember a couple things. First of all, you know, you got a, a secondary that has had some tough breaks, some key off-season additions like C.J. Gardner-Johnson, Manuel Mosley. Both had season-ending injuries. Of course, you know, for the past couple weeks, it's exciting because we've been teased sort of by, you know, C.D. Deuce himself posting on his Instagram saying that his return is near and he's beginning to rehab and he seems very close to coming back. So that is encouraging news. But you've had a bad hand dealt with injuries. But if, you know, you could have the best secondary in the league, you're going to struggle if quarterbacks have all day to throw against you. That's just football. So the pass rush needs to step it up. And while it has not been promising or even close to that, all it takes is momentum being built one week. And I by no means 
am going to say right now that this pass rush is going to completely 180, five sacks a game for the next month. Now, would I absolutely love that? Yes. I'm not saying that's going to happen. But you have some interesting factors here and some things that are going in our favor as we enter this last stretch of the season. You have acquired a few weeks ago Bruce Irvin, the veteran, pass rusher. He has been activated. He will play this Sunday. You have elevated from the practice squad, Quentin Bohana, a practice squad guy who started just about every game for Dallas last season. He's had an impressive couple weeks being elevated from the practice squad. You have those two dudes, and again, I'm not saying... Not saying necessarily that all of our problems are solved by those guys stepping up and especially a chance to see Irvin in action this week. But you also have, by the middle to the, you know, between the middle and the end of December, you have James Houston coming back. And again, not saying that once he's back, it's going to be every problem's fixed. But having Houston back is huge because this dude last season. Believe I believe it was eight sacks in five games because he was drafted very late and only got a chance to be elevated to the roster. It was November. In the last five games, this man had eight sacks. This dude has a gift for rushing the quarterback. And all of a sudden, these three guys, you get some momentum. You have somebody besides Aiden Hutchinson pressure the quarterback. Shoot. Things could begin to turn around. But this game Sunday against the Saints, and you look at this last month, believe it starts with this offense. This is the strength of this team, this offensive line. It starts with them being clutch, being this top-ranked unit that we know that they've been and we know that they will continue to be. It starts with golf. I think he'll bounce back just like the line will. The offensive line will bounce back. Golf will bounce back. This is a get-right game for the Lions. And this is a game I have the Lions winning by two touchdowns. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's a game that they'll, you know, have a comfortable lead. But the Saints are not a team to overlook. There is not a team on the schedule remaining that we should even think about overlooking. You got the Bears next week in Chicago. That'll be a battle. But this week against the Saints... I believe the Lions know they know what is ahead of them. In years past, this is a point in the season, as we know very well, that Lions teams of the past have folded under pressure. Given the opportunity of playing meaningful football in December and January, these opportunities have been squandered by Lions teams of old. But this team is different. I truly believe they are. And they have a great opportunity to prove it here in this last month. So, whether you are cheering from NOLA or if you're cheering from your couch here in Michigan or wherever you watch Lions football, enjoy this game Sunday. Bring your A game, and I believe the Lions will too. And let's get to 9-3. and three. Let's get a win. Thanks so much for giving the Lions meme cast to listen today. Stay tuned for weekly episodes the remainder of this season. Enjoy Sunday. Let's get this win. Go Lions. See you later. <laughs>